Welcome to Neighborly. Ophthalmos. House number 16. Little Street. The five senses are a funny thing. We rely on our senses to live, and if one is lessened, another is heightened or directs more focus. Sometimes, a sense feels as if it does not fit into the typical five categories. Sometimes, this is mistaken for a sixth sense. Having a sixth sense makes us feel special. Whole. Like someone important in a world of insignificance and one of these proposed sixth senses is the feeling of being watched. It's not unfounded. However, it's not particularly special, either. The eyes take in more information sometimes than the brain can process, and so the body, when faced with the situation, reacts with a sensation akin to the feeling of something incorporeal tickling the back of your neck. Or chill up the spine. The person that notices this, that can see beyond what they simply witness, is correct. They are being watched. As Cecilia Silk makes her way down the street, she feels that prickle on the back of her neck before she's even close to reaching her destination. She carries an old, worn suitcase in one hand and her phone in the other, and she's reading a book online. It's not as if she has any interest in social media. She prefers to mind her own business and would prefer if others do the same for her. Certainly, the man biking down the other sidewalk has better things to do than watch her bring home her groceries. Certainly, the child in the stroller passing by has more interesting things to chew than the mortifying ordeal of being noticed by the person it's been staring at. And certainly, she has better things to do than peer into other people's lives through a pixelated window. She locks her phone with a heavy sigh, shoving it into her back pocket and glaring at anyone who dared to look in her direction. She is dressed nicely, excited to visit her sister. It's her first day on Little Street, and she can't wait to see what her sister's been up to these past few months in her new home. It's certainly a very long street, Cecilia muses as she walks. And I real wonder why she had to backtrack, losing her place far before she reached the end of Little Street. Still... She was excited to see her sister, and she decided to focus on that feeling only as she continued to walk down the street. It's certainly a nice day out, to its credit. She sees a few birds flying in a rather unusual pattern overhead, and the occasional small critter scampering across the sidewalks. She has been walking for quite some time now. She really does hope that she'll come across her sister's house very soon. Cecilia shivers suddenly, despite the warm day and the unobtrusive breeze. It takes her less than a few seconds to recognize the feeling and turns her head to stare at the building next to her. House number 16 is no different from any of the other houses. At least, that's what the passers-by tell themselves as they move quickly across the street to avoid walking directly in front of it. It's large, certainly. It's looming. However, acknowledging that something is off about it, well, 
That's just not something anyone can do. Not without a strong, creeping feeling making its way up the back of their neck. The house itself is pushed up against the houses beside it, separated only by a massive iron fences, the front covered in security cameras and peepholes so that none who had the courage to approach it would be able to see into. It seems to watch all of the other houses as a god watches its creation, with disdain and morbid curiosity. The goings-on in each house are collected and consumed as house number 16 watches each story unfold with piqued interest. The augurous iron barriers shine in the daylight, jutting out from the row of houses unnaturally and offsetting it from those next to it. They reflect the sunlight away from the house and into the eyes of those who dare look at it for longer than they should. For this place's purpose is not to be seen, but to see. Cecilia feels this realization hit her like a bag covering a large, cheap copy of a Salvador Dali painting that misses the dumpster when it is thrown out. Unfortunately for Cecilia, the nature of the realization is also obscured by a large brown bin bag. And she simply feels that something is off. She doesn't like it one bit. Cecilia stares at house number 16 for a number of minutes, perhaps not realizing that time and people are passing by. She stands on the sidewalk in front of the building, her eyes drawn up the wall and to the top floor window that peers at her from just over the gates. She thinks she sees something flit by the window, but as soon as she begins to make out a figure, the blinds snap shut, jolting Cecilia out of her trance. She feels an oddly familiar irritation bubble inside her, and before she can hesitate, she's making her way up to the front gates. The building really shouldn't have any sort of barrier around it, but the sidewalk in front of House 16 is thinner because of the iron surrounding the house. Cecilia briefly wonders if the owner bought that spot of the sidewalk just to put a wall here. But the musing is brief as her hand lifts to rap three times on the gates. A panel in the wall slides open, and then another and another. Three long stalks extend towards Cecilia, the cameras on the end observing her. She looks at each one of them in turn before demanding to speak to the resident of the house. For a long moment, she almost thinks no one will come to answer her. The house is dark, and while she knows someone lives there, they might be the only one. But while Cecilia entertains this train of thought, the front door of house number 16 opens. The man who comes to greet her is pale, dreary, and looks as if he's lived a lifetime and a half. His eyes are quite intense, though, and Cecilia feels them bore into her as if she's a delectable piece of meat in the window of a butcher's shop. He asks her to follow him, opening the gates and allowing her to pass. Cecilia launches into a babbling rant, anger in words she didn't know she needed to get out tumbling out of her mouth. She tells this man that she doesn't enjoy being watched, and it's very rude to spy on people as they walk by. The man remains silent, leading her into the building and offering to take her coat. She refuses, looking around. The place looks straight out of a gothic novel. High ceilings and dark paintings on the wall, a statue bust on a pedestal in the corner, and an intricate rug that matches the dark wood panelling of the floor. The banister is dark and elaborate, following the spiral of the stairs up to another story. At the top of the stairs stands 
a woman. As Cecilia's eyes meet hers, she smiles. It's a truly odd feeling to have someone observe you, to look so far into you that they can see the depths of your soul through the windows embedded in the sockets of your skull, prying and twisting and tearing to get through to the core of your being, to the core of your very essence, just with one look. And as Cecilia stands there with a the woman's gaze pouring into her very mind, she feels every bubbling, brewing fear boiling inside of her belly surface all at once and stumbles backwards, saved from falling only by the man who had led her inside. She hears a faint chuckle and approaching footsteps, and blinks a few times in order to keep an eye on the woman coming down the stairs towards her. She is talking, her lilting tone slow and calculated. She welcomes Cecilia into her home. We've met before, in a sense, she says, and Cecilia gives her a quizzical look. Surely they hadn't. Why, Cecilia had just arrived here on Little Street. She hadn't met anyone before knocking on the gates of this house. She says as much, and to her surprise, the woman looks rather amused. So you really don't remember... Remember what? Cecilia remembers just as much as she needs to. She remembers her job and why she'd come to visit her sister where she is and just how soon she'd like to leave, but the woman's gaze holds her in place. As if an unseen force has a gentle but firm hand on her back, keeping her stiff and alert. She tells the woman they've never met in no uncertain terms and that she'd merely come in to ask for a favour. Of course, the woman asks what she wishes, and she tells her she'd rather not be watched as she walks down the street. It's creepy, unnecessary, and frankly, just plain rude. The woman lets out a short laugh, earning a glare from Cecilia. Uh, if we've never met before, the woman muses, then why are you ever so adamant about asking me for this favor? It's not as if we've had this problem for a couple weeks. Cecilia opens her mouth to fire a retort, but the words die in her throat as something pricks in the back of her mind. Nighttime. The only window that glows with light is the top floor of house number 16, where a figure stares down at her. As soon as she looks up, the blinds snap shut, and the light goes out. Surely this couldn't have happened. Cecilia hadn't been on Little Street for a night. She'd barely even been there half the day. The woman must see the confusion and bordering panic on her face because she's led up the stairs to a more comfortable room with a nice place to sit. The room is filled with stacks and stacks of folders, scattered papers, and heavy tomes that Cecilia knew she could never hope to be able to pick up and read. The woman introduced herself as Erin Gregory, a researcher and born resident of Little Street. She had grown up here, in this house, and she'd resolved to stay here for the rest of her life. Cecilia thinks that's rather boring, but Erin smiles plainly and states that it's a fine place, and far too lived in to consider moving out. As if to illustrate her point, she drops a thick folder on the mahogany coffee table in front of Cecilia and crosses her arms, as if waiting for her to open it. So she does slowly taking a corner of the folder and flipping it aside. 
her own face stares back at her. But she does not recognize the person wearing it. The eyes are manic and sunken, the hair is wild and tangled and matted, the flash of the camera that took it is too high, too bright. The white light fills her vision in an instant, and spots dance in front of her eyes. She rubs them with dry, cracked, dirty fingers in a futile attempt to get the spots to go away. The alleyway is dark and damp, and she stumbles back in an attempt to get away from the photographer. Get away! She scurries back into a corner, breathing heavily and sliding her hands against the coarse bricks on the wall beside her. Where is her destination? Where is she going? In her mind, there are colors. Streaming through a stained glass window, the sun hits her face in vibrant hues. She sits patiently, running her hands along some of the rubble strewn about the abandoned building. It is still beautiful, the high, vaulted ceilings and the rosy benches and that window. She looks up at it, admiring the intricacies of the lines interweaving together, filled with beautiful shapes and colours, and as her eyes trail up, she sees the figure the window depicts staring down at her from above, eyes boring into her, seeing her, knowing her. In a manic fit, she grabs one of the bricks and hurls it at the window, shattering it into thousands of pieces. She takes another one, throws it, over and over, until there is nothing left, until all the beauty is gone and all that is left are scattered fragments. And then, she runs. Cecilia flips the page, sifting through the other photos. What? What is this? She asks, breathing heavily and clutching her suitcase that she still kept in her hand to find some semblance of grounding. Erin Gregory gives her an amused look. She's been watching Cecilia for days, weeks now. She's been curious. Cecilia is in the middle of a response when she sees another image. This one is from afar taken from down the street. She is walking out of a cafe, lugging an entirely different case behind her, tattered and worn. She pulls out her phone, double-checking the address she's meant to go to, and she feels a crawling up the back of her neck. It squeezes and pulls at her attention until she looks up, towards where she could have sworn someone had been watching her. There isn't anyone. Of course there isn't. Celia's just been paranoid and really... She's just in a new place. It's not as if she's got a stalker. She lets out a shaking breath, attempting to close her eyes, to shut out these memories that she didn't even know she had, that she should not have. Her hands betray her, turning to the next photo. The sun rises on what is looking to be a beautiful day, but it's just a slightly better start to another regular day for Cecilia. Her job had told her to up and leave, and on top of her father's death a couple of months previous, she simply had nowhere to go. Her sister being her last remaining lifeline, she decided to reach out again. Layla Silk had moved to Little Street months ago. She had always been Cecilia's closest friend and at times worst enemy. It had been a moment since they'd lost contact, but Cecilia is certain that her sister will welcome her for at least the time it takes to find a new job and a place to live. She makes her way down the street in a very pleasant outfit and a brand new suitcase. She walks for a bit, looking around and enjoying just how different each house looks. It is quite early still, and at the side of a cafe, she makes a beeline towards the front door. She makes the mistake of checking her phone at the wrong moment, because just as she is about to enter, she runs into another who is exiting the shop. After profusely apologizing, she offers to buy the woman another coffee, 
as her drink dropped and spilled. It would really be no issue, she insisted, but the woman fixed her with a cold stare and demanded that she not ask again. I have met you before, Cecilia says aloud. She racks her brain, coming up with scraps of other meetings, each different than the last, each with an odd moment when the woman would ask if she was all right. If something was wrong with her head. On those days, Cecilia became irritable, displeased, and said some rather rude things in return. Just as soon as they begin to surface, the memories begin to fade again, and as she tries to cling to them, she flips through more documents and photographs, settling on one subconsciously. The house is old, run down and worn, and Cecilia stands on the street in front of it, wondering if this is the correct house. The number written on the card matches the imprint of what used to be the numbers on the door. She glances around at the houses next door, far more pristine and looking more like someone lives there. Cecilia sighs, turning her gaze back to the shack that her sister had told her to come to. She had said the house was a bit of a fixer-upper, but this isn't quite what Cecilia had had in mind. She shrugs, though, and begins to walk towards the door, resolving to simply ask where her sister actually lives if someone else answers. As she approaches, she hears a scuffling from inside the ratty, tattered old building, and the thought crosses her mind that if someone lives there, she may not want to talk to them. Really, who would choose to live in a place like this? It's likely full of animals and dust and broken planks and dripping pipes. Oh, how perceptive she is. But she would not be able to see this coming, for this situation would not cross the mind of any truly sane person. Cecilia knocks on the door three quick times, and the shuffling immediately stops. It's like the entire area has gone dead silent. Her knocks, the last sound heard. Out of the corner of her eye, she sees the birds perched on the telephone wire cocking their heads. They're watching her. She shakes her head and ignores it, turning her attention pointedly and fully on the door which she had started to open. She begins to babble, words coming out of her mouth like particularly bad cough syrup asking the figure whose hand peeks around the wooden planks where she might find one layla silk. At the name, the figure freezes and the door continues to swing open. Cecilia attempts to peer inside, but her view is blocked by the coat-clad person who stands on the other side. Really, she insists, if they could just tell her where her sister lived, then she would be on her way. But the resident of this house does not answer for a long moment, and Cecilia decides to simply excuse herself after she starts feeling a tad too uneasy. She begins to back away, and decides to call her sister as soon as she gets out of earshot and eyesight of this weathered old shack but her steps freeze when she hears a familiar voice coming from the now-open door. It's her sister's voice. She knows this in the pit of her stomach that seems to sink deeper with each realization her sister lives in this house. This reclusive, disgusting excuse for a building. And as she turns to view her kin, she gasps at the grimy, tattered hair and bright, wild eyes of Layla. Something squirms and writhes beneath the long coat she wears, and when she invites Cecilia inside, well, the woman can't be blamed for her hesitation. Layla gives her a betrayed look. If the dirt-stained, frankly concerning visage of her sister didn't make Cecilia happy, then why had she even come in the first place? Why did she come to visit if she's not happy to see her own sister? Cecilia lets out a shriek as the writhing gets more irritated and prominent, and a few small heads poke out from underneath the collar of the coat. 
Layla's eyes narrow, and she asks Cecilia if her new friends displease her sister. Do they scare you? These brilliant creatures have taken her in, made her happy and safe. Don't you want me to be happy, Cecilia? Her sister lurches towards her, and a few squirming things fall out of the sleeves of her coat. More scuttle down her legs, all of them garbling and spitting at Cecilia's salamanders. Cecilia runs. She knows that they're following her, and Layla calls down the street after her, telling her not to come back, telling her she's a terrible sister, that she never loved Layla, that she's unsupportive and unhelpful, and why did she even come if she was just going to criticize and judge and... Cecilia feels tears on her face. It's very dark outside. She feels as if she's been running for hours. Maybe she has been. All the lights on Little Street are off, the windows dark, save for one house across the way. It looks warm, inviting, and a couple of women seem to be setting a table on the front porch. They sing to each other, laugh about something, and as Cecilia approaches, they turn to look at her with kind smiles. Are you lost, dear? One of them asks, and she answers yes. She is, but in so many different ways. They invite her for tea, and she's not sure why, but her feet are drawn to the house, up the front steps, and lead her to sit their table. The third woman comes out, giving her the same friendly smile as the other two. She kisses one on the head, pouring some tea for the other, and glides around to fill the cup in front of Cecilia. Drink, dear girl, the woman coos, as she brings the cup to her lip with shaking hands. Drink, and your mind will become one with the stars. Cecilia gasps, feeling cold wood pressed against her cheek and hearing the echoes of her mumbling aloud in her head. Someone is above her, attempting to get her to her feet. She blinks, the visions that had flashed before her eyes already fading as though dreams. She clings to each scrap of memory like sand on a beach being washed away by the tide. She scrabbles, grasping for them, but only managing to find dark, hard planks beneath her fingers. Strong hands grasp her shoulders and lift her into a sitting position, and one of the hands cups her cheek and tilts her face this way and that. Sharp eyes look deep into hers and she blinks a few times, attempting to get away from them. Those witches! The voice of Erin Gregory cuts through the ringing in her ears as she finally begins to regain her bearings. The figure before her behind gathering the papers scattered across the floor, how did they get there? Cecilia watches mutely as Erin taps the papers on the floor, standing to place them neatly on her desk. She mutters an apology that Cecilia barely catches before furiously scribbling into a notebook. Cecilia attempts to stand, but nearly collapses once again as a wave of nausea and dizziness washes over her. The hands holding her up are a lifeline and she grasps them, leaning into the person connected to them. A hand hesitantly comes to support her back, and Cecilia allows her host to escort her down the hall into another room. She barely registers where she is, only that there is something soft beneath her and it's very comfortable. Her eyes fall closed against her better judgement. When she opens them again, briefly, she smells tea on the table at her bedside. Without thinking, she drinks it, relishing the warm liquid soothing her raw throat. Only a few minutes pass before she drifts off again into a dreamless sleep. Cecilia Silk wakes in an unfamiliar house, in an unfamiliar bed, 
with all too familiar feelings in her chest. Unease and loneliness. She crawls out from under the covers and makes her way out into the hallway and down the stairs. A wonderful smell comes from a room a little way down the hall, so she follows it. A wonderful breakfast is set on a long dining room table with someone sitting at the head, reading a voluminous book. She looks up, meeting Cecilia's eyes with two striking ones. She greets Cecilia kindly, explaining that the woman had an accident. Cecilia asks about her sister. The woman tells her that her sister is dead. It doesn't matter if she thinks it's true. It is safer for Cecilia to stay in the house, the woman named Erin Gregory says, and so she does. She helps Erin observe and take notes on the people who pass by at the residence of the buildings that surround house number 16. She is staring out at the top floor window, looking at something indiscernible across the street right now, quite unsure of exactly what she's looking at. Across the room, Erin Gregory closes her journal for the night and suggests that Cecilia go to bed. The blinds on the window fall with a snap, and the lights in the top floor of house number 16 go out. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by J.R. Steele and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Appleart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend. Because they might tell a friend. And they might tell a friend. And who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's misconnection reads, I saw you in a dream, and we played volleyball together. Sorry for burying you alive. Call me. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.